I'm Nicole. And I'm Monica. And we're two fangirls who like to talk about media and knit. This is our podcast, While We Were Knitting. Uh, this month, we watched Bridgerton, a Regency romance set in 1813 about a group of alphabetically named siblings um, who are in London during the eldest daughter's debut season. Due to the rumor of a influential new scandal monger, monger Lady Whistledown, Daphne Bridgerton becomes uh, involved with Simon, the Duke of Hastings, because what, it's a Regency romance, why wouldn't you have a Duke? Um, at first, it's kind of a fake dating scenario um, to further their individual interests, but pretty quickly, since it's fake dating, they start falling for each other and have to overcome a series of external and internal obstacles to find happiness together. Of course, that's only one Bridgerton's siblings plotline. There's how many are there? Monica? There's a lot. Monica. I think there's seven. No, seven. eight. Because they go eight. up to H. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but we'll discuss the rest later. Uh, so I watched the series twice and did two different things. The first time I was knitting the Age of Brass and Steam kerchief again, took me a bit, um, from Orange Flower Yarns, which is a triangular uh, long shawl, which is mostly stockinette with a few eyelets. And then the second time that I, I watched it, I was knitting Vermont's Finest by Meg Harlan, which is one of the Bernie Sanders memes written because I didn't vote for him in the primary, but I love a good meme. So, Monica, what did you knit? Um, I cast on for the Jane Jacobs shawl by Kirsten Kapoor um, at the very, very beginning of the first episode. It's a triangular mosaic shawl that's made up of squares and stripes, mm -hmm. and it is part of the I Knit New York collection. Interesting. So, we talked a little bit about this, Monica, um, in our last podcast, but you actually know the Bridgerton series as a, as a book series, right? I do. I read them. Um, I read all of them a very long time ago. I followed the entire series. I read all of the Bridgerton books and all of the spinoff books. Oh, so yes. she's, she's like an author who you're pretty invested in. Oh, yes. Um, there was a point in time I owned every single Julia Quinn book that was out. She was oh, wow. kind of my idol for a while. She, um, she has a history of having either been, I think she was either in, I think she, I believe she was in med school. She was in Harvard med school when she started writing the Bridgerton series um, as her escape from reality. <laughs> and she ended up actually becoming a full-time writer. <laughs> so yeah, she was, um, but yes, I, I was very, very invested in the Bridgerton series when, when I was in college. And for me, this was particularly amusing that I got so invested in the story because um, The Duke and I, which is the first Bridgerton book, was by far not my favorite. And Daphne was by far not my favorite one of the siblings. <laughs> yeah. So I was not expecting to enjoy it as much as I did because I knew what most of the main plot points, for their romance at least, were going to be. Those were fairly memorable, even though it's probably been like 20 years since I read that book. Well, you're also like way more into the romance world and like you are, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spoil it a little bit, but you are a published romance author, even if it's not in a language <laughs> I can read, which I do sometimes think about. I'm like, God, I can't read Monica's books because I only speak English. And I am sad about that. Um, but one thing that I'm kind of curious about, and apologies, my neighbor's dog is barking up a little storm. Um, but one thing I'm curious about is 
What do you think that draws so many romance readers and so many romance authors to the Regency era specifically? Because it's not, it wasn't like, historically speaking, wasn't a long period of time and you can argue it's extended before and after the actual political Regency, which was basically the 1810s. But why do you think so many, why they got so popular? I have some thoughts, but I'd like to hear yours. Well, my theory about that is a sort of very basic. It, it was a time of, that was attempting to be socially progressive. So as far as fashion went, for example, that kind of thing, that was when the waltz started to become popular. But everything was still very tucked in and, clo- and you know, the, it's the contrast between everything being so proper and everything being so scandalous. So the idea of every, everyone's watching everyone in society and even the smallest thing that you do can have these wide-reaching ramifications, which is great for romance because it makes for all of these like accidental scandals and people being found in gardens and, you know, dancing three waltzes means you're going to get married. It's all the constructs of society that you can play around with. And that I think people find very comforting because they become very much tropes in Regency. You know, you expect there to be, when you're reading a romance novel, you expect there to be a scene where they're dancing the waltz and their thighs are brushing and everyone is getting very, very hot under the covers from someone's (laughs) skirt flicking across someone's ankles, that kind of thing. But you sort of start to expect those beats. Yeah, no, it definitely feels like and I, I did write a couple articles about this, the fact that everybody is imitating Georgette Hires, imitating Jane Austen means that like everybody kind of knows what's going on. You, you dive in with a certain expectations. And even if it's that subverted or in some way different from the norm in that particular work, you kind of have this baseline that, that most readers are going to be walking into this and walking into those expectations. Um, in a lot of ways, it's like either, it's sort of like reading Greek comedies or like reading fanfic. it feels like like a a regency au is like a fanfic setting that i would recognize i'd be like oh i know what you're you're doing in this yeah and i think the other thing i think one of the things you touched on was so important is like it's very possible to have these very small things that build into larger symbols which is helpful and when everybody's watching everybody else and also it's a society that i don't think i've ever read a regency romance novel that wasn't very interested in marriage and yes. like the use of marriage as a social institution and also as like a political and economic one, which is also very Jane Austen. So that's, I think, would, another it, it would have to be because many, most Regency authors don't make too fine of a point in it, though they did in the show, that mm-hmm. it really is for many women that was their only recourse. They couldn't own property, you know, they couldn't they couldn't manage their own money. They were not permitted to, and many of them were never instructed in how to do it. So really marriage was their only, was considered their only value. And even so, they had to be sold off to their potential partners, which is gross if you think about it. But the whole idea of someone having a huge dowry is very often a, a plot point in, in a lot of these, these romances. I know in the, in the Bridgerton ones, part of the reason the Bridgerton girls were all sought after was that they all had huge dowries. So it was considered a big thing when, when Simon turned down her dowry and gave it to her for her use. That would have been unheard of. Yeah, no, and the, I would agree, and I don't know if the books did this as well, but I, I definitely agree that the series is like very interested in what a woman's place is society is viewed as in regards to marriage and like how Eloise, the younger sister, who personally I find more interesting at least, like she's my seventh favorite character, is like, (laughs) 
I hate everything about this and I don't want to get married and I don't want to do any of this and I find it itchy and uncomfortable and the idea of childbirth is terrifying partially because of her own like history of watching her mother go through a rough childbirth and partially because you know just a lot of people died in childbirth a lot of like yeah (laughs) so like Simon's mother I mean yeah like Simon's mother oh my god poor Simon okay so I was we were initially just going to watch the first episode and then both of us got carried away and we (laughs) ended up watching it twice and you watched the first seven episodes I think it's seven seven yeah besides the last so I actually feel like the first episode was not very strong personally speaking I was I was like kind of like okay I see where you're going with this you've hooked me at the very end but it wasn't until episode two when we start getting into Simon's backstory where you're like, how could anyone be mean to this perfect little child? He so <laughs> wants to be perfect and good and loved. And his mother is being so mean to him that like, I really, again, I'm like putting out that voice, but I do feel that deep in my heart. I was like, somebody's being mean to this child and I'm so upset. And I was just like crying like about all my feelings. Um, and I think that was when I was like, okay, I'm in it. I'm in it to win it. I will finish the series. So <sighs> I couldn't. So the the mother who died in childbirth is a is a very common for better or for worse trope in Regency. And for the life of me, I could not remember until the second episode if Simon. I I remembered his mother was was deceased in childbirth, but I could not remember if it was one of those where his mother was deceased in childbirth and his father like absolutely was completely careless about it or whether she was one who had passed away in childbirth and the father was so broken up that he'd withdrawn from his son. Mm -hmm. I could not remember which it was. Um, I was pretty involved by the end of the first episode because I was finding Daphne more affable than I remembered her being. Mm, Um, I mean and this is going to be sound kind of it is kind of mean I mean this in a slightly mean way but she does I am probably going to call her at some point Sophie because she does look like an off-brand Sophie Turner um, (laughs) from Game of Thrones I'm like oh the less pretty version Um, but that's what she looks like you know she does you're right I didn't even think about that it's the red hair though it is the red hair they have kind of similar face shapes but this is okay so there are two things about this that I think one which was kind of a throwaway line that I got obsessed with, and the other which was, oh, we'll talk about that. But the fact that uh, the Cowper, Lady Cowper, was like, oh, we all know your daughter is, like, way more attractive than my daughter. I was like, do we? <laughs> I thought so. <laughs> I, okay, opinions differ. I was like, because I feel like, and part of it might just be that she looks, she looks really 17 to me, which also she does. This was like kind of a more thing that like as in a visual way was more visually abrupt to me than it would have been I think in a book way where it was like oh I feel weird watching this sex scene because it looks like a teenager. And that's I fair. Felt, yeah that's fair. In a way that like if she had been written I wouldn't have had any issue and again they were both adults this is not like hashtag cancel culture like or hashtag like this is problematic. Sure. It's like you know it's, it's weird for me as somebody from 2021 being like oh she's she looks like she's 17 and I can see her having sex. Um, so I guess it's just differing opinions. But yeah, no, I thought I thought she the other one looked like an adult woman. And I was like, really? She did. Okay. Yeah. Um, the, the other one did look like an adult woman. You are correct. <laughs> um, and the other thing that was kind of a throwaway, and it ties back, I think, a little bit to like what's going on with Simon's father is, and Lady Danbury is my favorite character in the show, just like, 
flat out. I was just like, I love this woman. Everything she does is fantastic. All of her outfits are beautiful. I like that she hits people with her cane. I like that she's just like, I'm a widow and I could do whatever I want. And I'm like, I love that for you. Um, but there's the um, plot line or the, the statement that she makes that, you know, what happened was the king fell in love with a black woman and that like changed society. And it does kind of come up throughout the movie, the the TV series. But I was also like, okay, having lived through both the backlash to President Obama's like presidency and watching what happened to like Meghan Merkel, just being like, oh, they fell in love and having a back queen made racism go away. It was just like, mm, okay. <laughs> I think I'm going to need you to walk me through this in a different way, in a way that um, if they had just been like, racism doesn't exist, I'd be like, great. It's a like fluffy Regency romance. And in certain ways, having those tropes means that you can just be like, I just want the tropiest version of this. And I don't want to deal with like racism or homophobia or whatever flavor the author doesn't or the creator doesn't want to do. And I'm like, yeah, great, cool. You know, sometimes all of us just want a weird, like fluffy setting where people go to ball games and it's important that they get married. And we don't want to deal kind of with the, the nastier historical or present day realities. But having then introduced that backstory, I was just like, no, I have so many more questions that I wouldn't have had if you just had just been like, nope, this is just a thing. And I was just, I don't know. I didn't expect them to address that at all. I totally thought it was going to be, oh yes, we are all of a sudden a very multicultural, you know, mixed race Regency England. And I was totally okay with that. You know, I had no issues with that whatsoever. And then she said that and I was like, huh. I didn't know what to make of it. <laughs> Questions like once she said that, I was like, "Wait, we need to, we need to like re, re, like we talk about a lot more things right now." And like I said, it, and the thing is, it did come up occasionally, but it where I felt like it most came up was with Simon's father, and like his emphasis on perfection. And if you're like, "Oh, these are the first black members of the peerage, like ever," in that, and again, they. I don't really know like how history they're like going for here. I think not very heavy, God bless them. Um, but I was like, okay, well, slavery wasn't abolished in the UK until 1833, like historically speaking. So if you're saying everything was the same up until this point, I do again have a lot of questions. Um, but just, it was just like such an interesting little moment that I was introduced. Oh, sorry. Okay. My interpretation of her saying that, I mean, I don't remember the exact line, but my interpretation of her saying that was that um, people who were black and people who were white were actually two separate nations, oh. two separate groups. Mm -hmm. And it was the white king of one falling for the, you know, African-American, well, you know what I mean, mm -hmm. um, lady of another that brought the two cultures together. Interesting. Okay. Lady Danbury mentions them as two groups who became one, not necessarily mm -hmm. a, um, a, you know, slave situation. Okay. Okay. That was my interpretation of it. It was sort of a throwaway line that made me go, hmm. <laughs> like, well, I have so many follow-up questions. Because, yeah, there was, like, the idea of, like, Lady Danbury and, and the oldest Duke of Hastings, or not oldest, with the Duke of Hastings being, like, really obsessed with, like, I am the first Duke of Hastings. And I really need to pass this down to like, quote unquote, perfect children. And I was like, okay, well, I guess if there's so much riding on this, 
like it's not excusable like you still shouldn't treat a child like this especially like this this child who's trying so hard no it's stutterful oh good but it was like okay i can see where you get this media from but interesting yeah if there it's two totally separate ones that's an interesting that actually might make more sense maybe i don't know it was just like one of those things where i was like i would have been like I would have not thought about this as much if you had not introduced this, this particular yes. throwaway line. Yes. <laughs> so. I agree. Yeah. It was very interesting. I mean, the whole thing I found like enormously entertaining though. And yeah. I really enjoy it. There were definitely plot lines that I am almost 100% sure did not exist in the books back mm -hmm. in the day. I'm pretty sure I would have remembered them. <laughs> so I like that. I like that there were still things in there that could still surprise me. Um, even after I was such a devout fan of the books once upon a time. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think one of the things that that was cool and that they did actually pretty well considering the limited screen time they had is they actually set up all the siblings well enough that I was like, I understand who each of these people are and I understand who like the people they're entangled with are. Like I understood Featheringtons? I don't know names. I don't know. Featheringtons, yes. The <laughs> and like Marina Thompson, who's also a great character. Like, mm -hmm. I was just like rooting for her so hard. I was like, listen, Colin, dumb boy, dumb, nice boy. You marry him. It's gonna be great. <laughs> um, so I was just rooting for her. And like, and Penelope was like, I'm so sad. And I'm like, yeah. But I, unfortunately for you, and your, my sympathy for you as a character, have crossed the but daddy, I love him line, you know, in the yeah. like Little Mermaid movie when Ariel's like, but daddy, I love him. Yeah. And King Triton's like, you've never talked to this person. You don't love him. Yeah. Like where in your line, where does your sympathy fall? And my sympathy now at this point is like with the adult who's like, you, you, you don't talk to this person. He thinks you're his little sister. And I'm like, she's not wrong. Mm -hmm. She's not. And I read the summaries of the book. So I know spoilers for the books. I know that eventually the book is like, Colin and Penelope, they get together. And I'm just like, well, I don't think that they've set that one up particularly well, but they have at least set up all the characters for the rest of the series. Yes. They, and to be fair, it's a couple of, if I recall, it's a couple of years actually before Colin and Penelope end up getting together and things happen to him and things happen to her. And so they're different people by that point, which is not a bad thing. Um, but yes, I, I remember looking at the Colin, the Colin and Marina situation and being like, oh, this is gonna, this is, I honestly thought, I really thought that she was, when she was talking about marrying him, I really thought that she was actually gonna come clean to him. And then mm -hmm. he was going to propose. And I was like, you know what? I respect that. The trickery, I can see why he was mad about that. The interesting thing was, and I, I didn't catch it until I rewatched it, like when she came over that second time when Daphne came back, he, I think he still was ready to be like, I will still marry you. Until yes. she was like, I don't love you. I'm so sorry. Like, and I was like, well, you're a dumb, nice boy. He's like the non-threatening boy in a boy band. Yes. Yes. So. I did have a hard time visually telling apart the three eldest Bridgerton brothers. I would be like, oh, sideburns, that's Anthony. <laughs> but, but Colin and Benedict, I was having a tough time <laughs> until you like see the situation they're in. You're like, oh, it's talk guys talking to Marina. Okay, that must be Colin. Oh, guys like drawing art. Oh, that must be Benedict. 
the fact that Benedict was also like having sex with ladies, I was like, I thought you were going to be gayer. I thought that was the conversation that you and Eloise just had was about being gay, and it's not. And I am confused by that. And I was like, <laughs> no, no. That was that was fun. But I did I did enjoy um, Benedict. I always want to call him Bertrand because I know Bertrand, but his name's Benedict. Um, I didn't enjoy his like little hotline with um, Gabrielle Delacroix, who was just like, <laughs> I hate so much that you're making me talk to your sister. Like, I don't want to do this. And I'm like, yeah. fair. I, I like fair. But yeah, I didn't know. <laughs> I did enjoy the costumes. I know, like, I was like this, like, even as an ignorant person who doesn't know anything about historical clothing, really, besides like watching a couple of YouTube videos, I was like, mm, I don't think that's accurate. I don't really care. But I don't think that's accurate. Oh, so. yeah. yeah. But it was I, I mean, I know nothing about costumery, but I was like, oh, lush draping clothing, lots of corsets. I'm okay with this. Yeah, like, close enough. Like, yeah. I don't think But it was fun. The costumes were fun. Um, if I think if I was going to knit one thing inspired by the miniseries or the series, whatever it is, um, there's not a lot of knitting, but I would probably knit a little like um, base for a hat and then like fell it. And like, um, you know how like uh, Daffy oh. and are always wearing those little fascinators? A fascinator, I would, yeah. <laughs> I would knit a bottom of a fascinator and then just like stick a bunch of stuff on it because it wasn't a very knit heavy, uh, like kind of aesthetic. Everything was very woven. I did notice that. I, you know, I did notice that too. And I noticed that with their, with their shawls and shrugs, all of their shawls and shrugs looked like they were sewn rather than knit. Yeah. Um, but the one thing that I, I honestly thought of putting down my project and casting on for a Bennett sisters shawl, uh, <laughs> even though it has nothing to do with, with, you know, with Regency, I, I was like, I really kind of want to do something that's at least vaguely of the same time period, but I ended up not because I didn't want to wind mohair. <laughs> that was the sole reason I did not. <laughs> Feeling it, I'm feeling it. I'm not feeling the mohair. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's no. that's what I would have. That's what I would have wanted in it. And since it is, it is mostly garter stitch. There's a decent chance I could have gotten a, a good way through <laughs> in those, you know, seven lovely hours. It was a lot of hours. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, it was also funny. There were a couple of like very direct shout-outs of like, in want of. I was like, oh, I see you. I see you, Jane Austen reference. <laughs> yeah. But. I think having Lady Whistledown as like a pseudo narrator in certain points was like a very good um, way to anchor your viewer in the story to be like summarizing what happened in the last episode because a lot of stuff has happened. Let us remind you, this is what Lady Whistledown is going to write about. I really, I, well, Lady, Lady Whistledown was always a, a favorite. She's in all of, every single one of the books. And at some point in like book 15 or 16 or whatever, it's some ridiculous double digit number. You actually find out who Lady Whistledown is, but oh. it takes a really, really, really long time. Um, but I appreciate that the Eloise's whole plot line of looking for Lady, of like investigating Lady Whistledown and the different, her, her different perspectives on who Lady Whistledown is. Yeah. Um, I believe the original story of Lady Whistledown is that she used to distri she would distribute her pamphlets for free, mm. and then after about a month of doing that, she started charging for them. Ooh, so yeah. everyone got hooked. <laughs> Wait, 
Lady whistle down. Good job. Yeah, yeah. right. Right. Good um, businesswoman. <laughs> and that was also a fun way to, I think, tie together some characters who wouldn't have otherwise interacted, like the way the Eloise and the Queen were kind of like, so how's stuff? How's things? Yeah. And I love it. <laughs> The queen was like that one time, that one scene where she's just like sitting there reading gossip pamphlets and the lady is like doing like these insane acrobatics and she's like, I'm bored. I'm bored and this is not entertaining enough. And I'm like, I love that you love drama. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Like I love that you're, but the other piece that I enjoyed about the show is that like even female characters who start off as fairly two-dimensional um, get some sort of depth. Like you learn more about the queen and her situation with her husband and like oh. how her. I did not expect that. I was, I mean, we knew, like, it had been mentioned a bunch of times that, you know, he was nuts, but she always seemed to sort of blow it off. So I did not expect to, them to sit down and be having this affectionate dinner and for her to look so broken up when he sort of spiraled down into madness, you know. Yeah. I thought the queen was just going to be this sort of snooty character who lords it over them all. No. It's like one of those people who are like, because that's what she set up as. And then she's like, and then the the plot complicates itself by being like, this woman cannot deal with what's happening with her husband because obviously it's like super upsetting. Sure. And the way that she's instead choosing to deal is by snorting snuff, which was a great scene. Yeah. <laughs> that's very funny. And like being like, catch me up on the latest gossip and like doing little like hereditary like movements with her little nephew. So. That was cute. And I enjoyed that a lot. And yeah. And even I did like Frederick though. It, he's he was one of those who who was a suitor who was not odious. And you're sort of sad that, you know, he, he seemed like a nice he seemed like a perfectly nice guy. And those always seem to be in rather short supply in agency romances, to be honest. Nice guys are not very common. No, my friends and I have have a um reoccurring thing called a josh where it's like oh you want this person to have like a perfectly fine romantic prospect who's not like a bad person but isn't like the otp like just like a side character who's fine but isn't like your heart and fine i was like oh yeah prince josh and like i feel like if if worse comes to worse daffy could no not worse comes to worse that wouldn't be the worst life for daphne she would be fine if daphne had married him i'm like yeah you'd be okay yeah, like you would have you would have a family together, and like yeah. sometimes you might be like, "Oh, I wonder what would have happened if the Duke and I." But like, you would have a large family, and you would be busy, and you would probably live a perfectly fine life. Yes, yes, you would be living in a castle in Prussia, maybe, or in London because he <laughs> liked London. Yeah, it was like a perfectly nice Prince Josh. Yeah, so yeah, that was fine. And then I feel like the really main crux of the plot is like, is Simon going to let himself be happy? Like that is the main hurdle that Simon and Daphne have to get over. And I'm like, well, buddy, you, you have not made your life easy, have you? Yes, he, he has not, uh, he has not figured out how to get out of his own way. No. Yeah. And that whole scene where like, she basically like doesn't let him pull out. I was like, oh, I don't love that. I don't no. like that. Not a cool, okay thing that you did there. Um, but it was one of those things where, like, that was kind of something where I was like, I don't know if it's in the books. Is that in the books? It is. 
Yes, okay. it is. That was the, the whole pregnancy plot line is a huge, was a huge squick for me in the books. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, that was type of the type of thing where I was like, oh, you, like, he is having some difficulties that he has caused himself, but, like, you have also massively fucked up here, ma'am. Yes. So. Yes, correct. Yes, I was, I was, I was sincerely hoping they would not keep that in, and they did, and I'm like, oof, yep, mm. here we are again. <laughs> but it is funny that, like, one of the main plot points hinges around the fact that like nobody like nobody tells young women where babies come from right <laughs> yep. and Eloise yep. is like where do babies come from yeah and no one will tell her and no one will tell Daphne nope or Penelope or Penelope yep got and pregnant through cake <laughs> and then she's like love I love the whole investigation that Penelope and Eloise go on they're like so babies where do they come from right yeah and, and when Daphne's mom is like, oh, you know, like how the, how the dogs on the farm? Yeah, they weren't married, but they had puppies anyway. I'm like, that's just not helpful. Not helpful. No, that is, that was not a great, a great line. That, that was a mom moment. She has many really good mom moments. She really does. Like when she's dressing down Anthony for like not being the head of the household that he should. And I'm like, oh, Lady, you got your sons down, <laughs> but that was not her finest moment, no. <laughs> I did, like, watching Anthony, I was, was just like, people should punch Anthony more. I know he gets in, like, three fights. He wasn't punched enough during them. I'm like, you could have lost all three of them very badly. <laughs> yes, quite. So, I'm, I'm not excited that his is the next series that they're putting out because they've officially picked up for season two. And I was just oh, like, is it? Is it Anthony? Well, That's unfortunate. Yeah, I don't remember his story at all, to be perfectly honest. I know I must have read it because I read all of them, but yeah, no, I read the I read the um, like summary on Amazon or something. I was just like, well, I guess this is happening. Yeah. Like the reason that Bridgerton got me is partially because everyone's like, oh, this is really good, and partially because I love a fake dating. When two people are like, oh, we're not in love. We're just this is just convenient, and I have no feelings whatsoever. And also they like then can't admit their feelings because they're like, no, this person doesn't truly love me. They're just, they're just doing it because they, we, we tricked each other. And I'm like, yeah, you idiots, tell me more. <laughs> One thing that I really enjoyed was that the, like, they did a really nice job in episode, I think episodes two, mostly episode three of portraying um, Simon and Daphne as being good friends like people who could make each other laugh like when she starts snort laughing because of something he said I'm like okay y'all idiots are really adorable I mean you think you're you're fake dating but you're really cute it was they, the first I was not sold on the pairing in the first episode I think part of that part of the reason that I didn't like the first episode as much is because I was like these two I mean they're both like he's pretty hot but like yeah <laughs> Um, and then watching them like banter and get to know each other in the second and third and like all the negotiations, negotiations about like, are you going to buy me flowers? Expensive flowers. How many dances are we doing? You have to come on a picnic. And like him being like, oh yeah, look, look at what's her face cowper. Look at her face. Look at her, like, cast her eyes down. And just like all those little banters back and yeah. forth about how they're constantly like amusing each other and they find each other very funny and very enjoyable was, was very good. I really enjoyed that. And then I was like, I'm sold on this pairing. Yes. Also, the part where he's like, I wouldn't need flowers. I just need five minutes alone with you in the dining room. I literally just sat up. <laughs> I was like, oh, what? <laughs> yeah. 
that's not shocking at all. That's not totally not the kind of thing you say to it. That, yeah, that's totally the kind of thing you say to like a proper young 17 year old who doesn't know where babies come from. <laughs> Honestly, the part where he was like, when you touch yourself at night and she just like looked blankly at him like, what? That was also <laughs> quite, I was like, you know what? She's a dumb dumb. Well, she's not dumb. She's just uneducated because her society refuses to teach her anything. Right. But like, her being like, what's going on? And him being like, okay, I guess I have to explain this. And this is unfortunately very sexy. This is very- <laughs> His moment of, oh, I'm regretting my life choices and opening my mouth right now <laughs> expressed. It was great. He's like, yeah, you know that thing. No, you don't know that thing. <laughs> I'm going to have to elaborate. Okay. But like, he sold it. I was like, yeah, he's not a Duke. Cool. This is yeah. exactly what I want from like a romance hero. Yeah. You're, you're hitting all the buttons. Good job, buddy. So, yeah, that was quite fun, but I don't think Anthony's gonna do it next season, but that's... You know. No, no, I, uh, yeah. <laughs> the fact that I don't remember his book at all means it probably was not so memorable, but you know what? Part of the, part of the joy, I think, of the Bridgerton series is that all of the characters are recurrent characters, so even if you don't really care too much what's happening with the main with with the main romance pairing, you still get all the fun of everyone else. <laughs> That's very true. Really enjoy it. I'm looking forward to like Eloise like running around in the background being like, okay, it's my debut season. I hate everything. And like how she gets gets involved in that. <laughs> so it was very funny also that they shipped one of the sisters off to Bath because they were just like, this is just one too many. Yeah, I think they were they were like, Francesca, all right, you need to be elsewhere. <laughs> well, listen, we need the small children to be adorable with the Duke. We need Eloise to be running around being like, I, a spunky heroine of the romance regency, and, and the Daphne to be like the counterpoint of the perfect, in certain ways, regency romance. And the like, diamond of the first water. <laughs> that's so silly. But I really, I liked that moment between the two of them where they both acknowledged like each other's strengths and that they loved each other. Even they were very, very different people. Yeah. So I did appreciate that. That was cute. So... I enjoyed that. It's fun. I mean, I'll watch next season. I'll probably send you a lot of texts being like, so Anthony, don't like him. Not here for it, but I look forward to the rest of the people. And you should, you should update me because I know you, we've just talked about how you love to save the last season or the last episode of a, of a series to like ingest it in your own time. So when you get to that point, you should let me know because I think some things that are going to happen um, might be surprising to you based on the summary again the summaries that I read on Amazon but let me know so I'm super excited (laughs) it's fun fun. the last the last episode was good I enjoyed it but um so wrapping up the two things that I knit the brass and age of brass and steam uh was a good combo because it was mostly stockinette still mostly eyelid um with those little eyelids just like I talked about last time and Vermont's Finest has a little bit of color work and I was fussing with the numbers. So it was good for a rewatch. It was good for a rewatch. It wasn't super hard color work or anything, but I think if it had been the first time through, I would not have picked a color work project. So. The Jane Jacobs um, shawl by Kristen Kapoor is a lovely shawl. Um, it was not one that I, sh- I should have probably cast it on for with another show and gotten used to the pattern before I started mm-hmm. watching. 
because I ended up having to rip out whole sections of mosaic because I just kept going and going and going and <laughs> reached the end of the episode and looked down and I was like, oh, that didn't work. <laughs> so I had to rip out whole sections of pattern <laughs> um, a couple of times because I just wouldn't stop watching while I was knitting. <laughs> That's so good. And like, I know I thought of that. It was a very engaging show, and can I just say, like, I, there are sometimes where it's uncomfortable, but can I just say, I, I did appreciate that they just, like, went for it on the sex scene. They're just, oh. like, we're going for it. There's going to be banging. People are going to have orgasms, and I'm like, I applaud you. Yeah, I, I confess, it it was definitely very much in the key of a, you know, of a Regency romance novel, you know? Mm-hmm. They're smutty a lot. <laughs> There's always sex in them, no matter how much everyone is so scandalized by it. <laughs> I love that for them. Wow. But yes, the, they they were not joking on the sex scenes. You were, no, they were not that is true. They were like, you will see many parts of these people's bodies, yep. including yes. Yes. Like, there will be bums everywhere. Yes, <laughs> all over the place. So next week we will also, or not next week, next month we will also see a lot of naked and mostly naked people, and we'll be thinking a lot about money and the way that a woman's um, situation in society can influence how she thinks about money and how she thinks about men and relationships to money. It's next month. We're going to be watching strippers. And I'm so excited, Monica, to make you watch this movie. So. <laughs> but, all right. Thank you all. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Just as an FYI, I got so excited about the movie we're going to watch next month that I accidentally called it strippers. And while it's about strippers, the movie is actually called Hustlers. So next month, we will be watching, we'll be talking about the movie Hustlers, for which J-Lo should have won an Oscar. Thanks so much, and talk to you next month.